Hi, my name's Laura and I'm doing the Bible reading. It's from the book of Philemon, which if you're following along in a paper Bible is a tiny book right before Hebrews. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, to Aphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in at your home. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith, so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement, because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favour you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason he has separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one more thing. Prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and so do Mark, Astychus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Thanks, Laura. Imagine teaching like a kindergarten class in the ancient world, and you're like, Archippus, put that down. Aristarchus, stop chasing Onesimus around the room. It can just get wild. Welcome to talk five in this six-week series called United. And we've been working hard over the last uh, four weeks where we've been looking at the whole of the Bible and trying to see what that teaches us in what we should believe about being united with Christ. Tonight, we think about being united with Christ and united with his people. And I've got some good news for you. It gets a little bit easier tonight, at least easier to understand. Because I'm going to spend most of my time with you tonight in this book written by Paul to a guy called Philemon, and the name of the book is Philemon, not Philemon, Philemon. Uh, so we're going to go there. I'd love to be able to say to you, because Philemon is the one-stop shop for understanding uh, union with Christ and his people. It's not. There's a whole bunch of more Bible that we should consider as well. But what's great about Philemon is it's a book that's all about relationships. It's a book that's about Jesus and it's a book about relationships. So it's a book that actually contributes a lot to our conversation tonight. So I want to take you there. Let me show you a little bit about the relationships that are featured in this book. First of all, you have a guy called Paul. Now Paul 
is writing to Philemon. Let me tell you something about this relationship. So if we were to draw a line here, and I'm going to label this line for this relationship F. starting to sound like maths, but don't worry, it's not. I'm labelling this line, this relationship between Paul and Philemon F for friendly. Because these guys are friends. They have a good relationship from the very beginning of this letter. And if, you're re- if you've got a Bible in front of you, it's a good idea. You'll see, to Philemon, our dear friend, actually, on this occasion. But a brother too. But that was, that was, that was good. Thank you for coming with me. On this occasion, friends. Paul thinks of Philemon as a brother, definitely, and as a friend. When he's thinking about Philemon, he actually goes on to say from verse 4, I thank God every time I think of you. Philemon's the kind of guy that, you know, in Paul's profile picture, you might see the two of them together, like that kind of friend, and when you first get a friend request, you're like, which one of you is Paul, and which one of you is Philemon? Um, You know, they're buddies. Philemon's the kind of guy, Paul says, hey, if you're having a barbecue, invite Philemon over, he's good value. He's good for a laugh, you know, he'll bring his own meat, he's great, you know, he'll bring his swimmers and have a swim. He's the kind of guy you want at your pool party. Philemon is the man. I love him. He's my friend. When I think about him, I get happy. And there's all kinds of verses through this one chapter about how Paul likes Philemon. This is a friendly relationship. Now there's someone else that we want to have a look at. Onesimus. I have to confess something to get it off my chest or it will bug my brain all night. In my head, I love to call Onesimus Onesimus. And I imagine him as this guy who wears a onesie everywhere. He like sees himself as like a superhero in a onesie. Onesimus! But his name's Onesimus. Paul has a relationship with Onesimus as well. So we'll draw that in. And I'm going to label that one F as well. Uh, this one is highly familial. It's got a real family feel to it. Because if you were looking at uh, something like verse 10, you'd see that Paul speaks about Onesimus, that I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus. Not his biological son, uh, but this is a guy that Paul has encountered, a guy who has become a Christian. So he's uh, very much a brother in Christ and stuff like that, but Paul's taking this effort, he's like, This guy's like a son to me. He's close. In fact, as he writes to Philemon, he says, actually, Onesimus is a lot like you used to be for me. Does it still happen like it used to happen with my mum and I? My mum was forever getting me to like look after her tech for her. I used to have VCRs, and she was forever getting me to reset the clock on her VCR. I don't know what she was doing to this thing that made it go. But it was always like, Shane, can you look after it? And I was like, yes, mum. And I fixed that up. You know how mums can kind of be like that, and dads, and you fill that hole for them, and uh, you fix their tech? I imagine Anissimus is the guy who fixed Paul's very basic 2,000-year-ago tech. He was the guy who Paul came to rely upon. He's like a son to me. Paul would invest wisdom into him and Onesimus would set Paul's VCR. They had this kind of father-son relationship going on. What we can say is it's familial. It's family style. They get each other. Here's the next relationship I want us to be aware of in this letter. It's going to look different. It's the relationship, or maybe non-relationship, 
between Philemon and Onesimus. And I'm going to go ahead and label that F as well. This is a different F. This is fractured. We've got a friendly relationship, we've got a familial relationship, and we've got a fractured relationship. That's because Onesimus is a runaway slave. He's run away from his slave master, Philemon. We've got to pause for a second, we've got to do some work to understand this relationship because it's tough for us. Because I reckon any right-minded person, when I say Onesimus is the runaway slave of Philemon, you think, and run, Onesimus, run. Woohoo! That's great. Glad you got free, son. Keep going. Philemon, suck it. We're glad that your slave got away. And that's a fair comment. Except it might mean that we've read the slavery relationship in a way that uh, is not fair to this particular one. This is the kind of relationship that actually could be something you might even rejoice in. Um, let's try and get our minds into ancient world slavery. And one, one way to help is to think about this guy Paul who wrote the letter. Sometimes he describes himself and his co-worker Timothy as slaves of Christ Jesus. And he delights in that title. He's not saying, I'm Paul... Look, you can do a deal with this guy Jesus. He gets you out of hell and into the better place if you just do everything he says and become his slave. It sucks, but it's better than hell. That's certainly not the way he describes his slavery. Paul describes his slavery more in the sense of Jesus has taken possession of me when I was lost and alone and alienated from God. Jesus took me into his home, adopted me, brought me into his family, uh, provides for my needs, and I'm in delightfully in his service, and it's wonderful together. This could be, I can't say for certain, but this is an example of how slavery can work in the ancient world. Uh, at times, horrific things were done. You know, the, average li- the average age in New Testament times is about 27 And part of that statistic comes from the number of babies that were left exposed on rubbish dumps to perish because they're unwanted. Sometimes what might happen is an infant uh, might be left, abandoned, and someone might come along and see that. And you might say, "They, they should adopt them and take them in. Well, maybe they should. One of the challenges with that is it changes family dynamics. If, if I find a baby and I take that baby and I adopt it, then there's an inheritance and things like that, and that changes the dynamic and it changes some custom and things like that for my entire family. That can be tricky. But maybe I can do a next best thing. I'm going to rescue this person from a terrible fate, bring them into my family. They will have shelter. They will have food. They will have the comforts of our home. They'll be, uh, they'll be with us. And their role in the house is they're going to be a servant. They're going to be a slave. And that's how we'll work. We're going to give them a second chance at life. And so we'll use our provision to look after them and they'll use their capacity to be useful to us. The problem for uh, Onesimus is Paul describes him in this letter to Philemon as, yeah, I know he was useless to you. He wasn't really good. Interestingly, his name is Onesimus, which which means useful, which is where he ends up. So to start with, this is a guy who perhaps Philemon's given a second chance at life, a chance to live, and he wasn't terribly useful to start with, and now he's run away. That's disappointing. Maybe Philemon wasn't a great slave master and Onesimus ran away because of that. Who knows? There's, There's a problem there. Another way people came into slavery in this time sometimes is a similar way we come into slavery today, um, through debt. 
You take out a loan. Today, when you take out a loan, you offer up collateral. So you, uh, you might take out a loan to buy a car, which is a crazy thing to do because cars are depreciating assets and loans have interest. There's your free financial advice for the night. You take out a loan to buy a car and the agreement is if you don't make the repayments, what will they do? They'll repossess your car and maybe some of your other goods as well. So what you offer up as collateral is yourself. You say, I'll take out this loan so I can buy a plot of land or something like that and if I don't make the payments as I'm meant to, I'll come into your service. Okay. Here's what could be the problem with Philemon and Onesimus. Maybe Onesimus once borrowed money from Philemon, defaulted on the repayment. That's a problem to start with. Philemon takes him in as the collateral. Well, you'll now be my bond slave. And now Onesimus runs away. That's like if you took out a loan, bought a car, didn't repay, they repossessed the car, and then uh, a couple of nights later, you sneak into the impound and steal the car back, drive across across the border to Queensland and don't think the police are going to have an issue with you. Onesimus at this point could be someone who's broken faith and broken promise in not repaying his loan. He's then stolen the collateral, which is himself, and run away. Or maybe Philemon was just a jerk. Who knows? What we can know is this relationship's not a good one. There's a problem between these two. There's enmity and the relationship is broken. So we got friendly, we got familial, and we got fractured. Here's where Paul speaks in to this relationship triangle. And what he does in verses 15 and 16 is he makes a request. He says, Philemon, what I want you to do with this Onesimus who I'm sending back to you, Onesimus is thinking, you're going to do what? This guy's going to kill me. Uh, When he comes back, I want you to receive him back. And Onesimus is thinking, receive him back? He was useless the first time and he ran away. I I don't want you to receive him back as your slave. I want you to receive him back. Remember when you might have rescued him once, you thought, well, I'm not going to adopt him. Now I want you to count him as a brother. Not only receive him back to what he was, elevate him to peer status, he is now your brother, for he is in Christ. That's how I want you to take him back. This is a wild letter, I've got to tell you, because it's addressed to a guy called Philemon, but it's for public reading in the church. This is like someone took all your private messages from your social media and put them on your news feed. It's kind of wild because Paul's saying stuff like, look, I know I can count on your obedience. By the way, set up a room at your place for me. Uh, You'll do this thing if you love Jesus, whatever. Oh, by the way, we're reading this in front of everyone at church. For me, that's wild. (laughs) Anyway. Paul says, Philemon, take Onesimus back, and surely these two men are thinking, how is this going to happen? In verse 6, which Pete prayed from, we see the basis of Paul's request. Here it is. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing that we share for the sake of Christ. Let's break that down. I pray that your partnership... I'm going to show you in a moment, it's the partnership that is the key concept in this entire letter. I pray that this partnership we have will be effective. That is, it will bring about a change, a development. What kind of a development? In deepening your understanding of every good thing, 
every good thing, not just oh, what you think about God, every good thing we share, including our community and our relationships. All of this should be affected by this partnership thing we have. So verse 6 is the key verse for Philemon, and it's partnership that is the key concept tonight. This word partnership is often translated fellowship. Now, fellowship's not a word you hear a whole lot in the world. We have friendships, we have families. It's only in weird churchy circles that we have fellowship, but sometimes weird churchy words are worth keeping. Fellowship's one of them, and tonight I have to show you a little bit why. This word fellowship in the original language is a word koinonia. Not too hard to say. Hopefully it sticks with you because it's got a bouncy feel. Koinonia. Let me tell you a little bit about Koinonia, partnership or fellowship. Here's what a New Testament scholar, Doug Moo, says about koinonia. He says it's a, con- it's a central concern of the letter. That is, it's really important. It's going to hold this thing together. To highlight the reality of close and intimate fellowship that Christians enjoy with one another as a fundamental, that is the basis, a fundamental basis of the way we perceive ourselves and for the way that we are to respond to specific situations. Here's, here's the really cool bit. Fellowship based on faith or produced by faith rather than fellowship in faith better captures the significance. What he's saying is it probably looks like this. You hear there's a place called Fig Tree Anglican Church. It's a place where Jesus is made known. It's a place that celebrates Jesus. So you think, I will go there because I'm a follower of Jesus. I have faith in Jesus. And someone else thinks, I will go there because I'm a follower of Jesus. I have faith in Jesus. And they come together. And all these people come together for Jesus. And out of their pointing towards Jesus grows friendship, fellowship, and in a place like Future Anglican Church where everyone marries everyone, family. I made the mistake of saying at 10 o'clock the moment, and so we're still awaiting the birth of our first six-fingered baby, and then I went, oh, I shouldn't have said that. And now, and now I said it again. Couldn't resist. This is different. This is different to us being gathered here because we were all mates already, and we said, okay, we'll all go here because we're all friends, and let's bring Jesus in, seeing as though we're all together. It's our faith in him that gives rise to the relationships we hold to. And I'll say a little more about this in just a moment. Let's have a look at something that uh, another author says about Paul's idea of community. This is from Robert Banks. Koinonia in itself occurs some 13 times in Paul's writing. Some 13 times, but with these related terms, the sense of participation is in some common object or activity. For example, participation in the Spirit, in someone's faith, in Christ, which which is what we were talking about in this series, and in his sufferings, in the work of the gospel, in a financial contribution, not of the sharing of people concerned directly with one another. These guys are not saying friendship is bad. These guys are not saying you're bad when you come to church and you see your friend and you like do something that's completely unchurch related. What they are saying though is when we're talking about fellowship, we're talking about something that's just different to the word community that the world is excited about or friendship. We're talking about community or friendship that comes out of a seed that is called faith in Christ. It's union with Christ that unites us with one another. 
So having this understanding of koinonia, we go back to Doug Moo, the New Testament guy, who gives us a translation or an interpretation of Philemon verse 6 that looks like this. And this is the basis, remember we're talking about the basis of Paul's request that Philemon and Onesimus come back together. Philemon, Paul says, I'm praying that the mutual participation that arises, mutual participation that arises from your faith in Christ, that's union with Christ language, might become effective in leading you to understand and put into practice all the good that God wills for us and that is found in our community. And all this do for the sake of Christ. Let me show you what I think this looks like. This means that our relationships take on a different kind of shape. We can have relationships based on the circumstances of friendliness, of what's familiar and what's known, or about the fallout that we have, that are fractured, or we can have koinonia, which looks like this. Jesus be the centre. Um, thanks very much, I don't feel embarrassed at my... whatever. Paul is united with Jesus... Philemon is united with Jesus and Onesimus is united with Jesus. Because these people are all united with Christ, they are therefore eternally and perfectly united with one another. The basis of the relationship they have is not the current circumstance but the eternal reality of being united with Christ. Now let's be careful. This does not mean friendship doesn't matter. This does not mean that family doesn't matter. This does not mean that fractures don't matter. What it means is we need a a shift in how we think where we realise that what holds us together is not that like attracts like and all that sort of stuff, but that we are united with Christ. Union with him gives us union with one another. And I think Paul acknowledges this in Philemon. Because look, in this letter that is read out loud, Paul says stuff like, hey, you know, verse 8, Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, Paul acknowledges something that's important for our Australian culture is to acknowledge that there is a space for ordering and submission in the family of God. That sometimes we have elders who will call us to a response in Christ, it's not a wrong thing, and our right response is to practice godly obedience. Paul says, I could do that in Christ. I could exercise one part of our relationship that God has ordered us in this way and I could call you to this. Paul also says, remember who's writing to you, mate. Did you hear it? It's none other than Paul, an old man, in prison, the guy who fed you once. Yeah, he's probably not guilt-tripping. He's going to say, we're old mates, Philemon. You know me and I know you. It's me you're talking to, Philemon. Not just any guy, it's Paul, the old bloke. I wouldn't steer you wrong, never have. I'm your mate's. Paul acknowledges between he and Philemon there are plenty of relational strings he could pull. I'm your elder in the Lord. I'm your old buddy in the flesh. But Philemon, the basis I want for your action is not the external relationship uh, ties. 
the thing that I want to drive your action is that you are united with Christ. That you understand that Jesus loves you and you love Jesus. That Jesus loves Onesimus and Onesimus loves Jesus. That you, Philemon, are united with Christ. That Onesimus is united with Christ. And if you are both united to the common Christ, then your common unity, your community, is that you share Christ in common. Not that you shop at the same place. Not that you agree on politics. Not that it's always an awesome time when you're together. Koinonia. Union with Christ is the basis. Koinonia. We're talking about a community. Hey, community is friendly and loves one another, but this koinonia community, this love and friendliness finds its grounding. It finds its root in a theological conviction. It's grounded in faith in the God of the Bible. It's community that enjoys friendship. It likes friendship. But it's not grounded in friendship. It's grounded in Christ. And that is the significant difference. Here's why I think it makes a difference. Because koinonia, that is fellowship that derives from union with Christ, overcomes all kind of distance. Let's test my theory against the biggest distance you'll find. To do this, you have to think about wind. Okay, so, you know every August we get crazy, crazy winds down here, right? Yeah? Or is it just me? You guys don't awake enough for me tonight. I'm going, I'm leaving. No, seriously, work with me here. You know the wind, right? Comes every August. Yes, yes, Shane. All right, good. Let's pretend we're in like an African-American church and, and like there's energy and stuff. Yeah, okay. So, imagine in 2020, August winds come and you're like, no big, they're just the August winds. But the wind escalates to an apocalyptic level. That means a big deal. And one Sunday night, we are gathered here, doing koinonia, gathered in the name of Christ. The wind blows, huffs and puffs, and blows the house down. Like, we are not in Kansas anymore, Toto type stuff, and we are all killed, our congregation. So here we are, one minute we're like, I'll stand with arms high and harder. And the next minute, we're walking towards the pearly gates together, right? You're walking with everyone and you're doing what you sort of do uh, you know, in the coffee line at 10 o'clock churches. You guys, you know how you try and like sneak forward in the coffee line, but not look, you want to look godly, but you try to be like first to coffee. Um, you guys are more godly than them, um, or not as addicted to coffee. Um, so you're coming through the line, and just as you're coming to the gates, you feel a hand hit you in the chest. It's not an aggressive hand, but it's a firm hand that stops you. You look up. It's Jesus. He says, where do you think you're going? Oh, hi, Jesus. Um, great song tonight. I'm with the fig tree mob. Where we, our house got blown down. We're all dead. We're coming in. I'm with them. Been there for like 30 years, since I was born, actually. I'm married like into half the families there and stuff. <laughs> Want to see my fingers? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just going to come in, right? That's cool with you. He says, but I don't know you. 
and you don't know me. You see, at this point, friendship and even family cannot overcome a divine distance. What overcomes divine distance and adopts us into the family of God the Father is our union with Christ. This union with Christ that overcomes the distance between the common and the holy, between the sinful and the perfect, between the creature and the creator, between the earthly and the heavenly eternal, is the same union that can overcome significant distance between people. You see, when we start looking to circumstantial relationships, sometimes we get friendly, sometimes we get familiar, sometimes we get fractured, things can change. But koinonia, that is, this fellowship that comes from union with Christ, overcomes divine distance and it overcomes familial distance. That is, it means that we can relate to people we're not necessarily familiar with and we can become a truly welcoming community. You don't have to be my style of guy. You don't have to be someone I know for me to love on you and welcome you. We have a goal as a church and that is everyone relating, but I want you to understand this goal is not simply about let's just be heaps friendly. Let's be that heaps friendly community that everyone likes and it just feels great. I hope we are that. But that is not what's going on. What is going on is let everyone relating be an outworking of the koinonia we have. Because I know Christ, because I'm united with him, may I desire and recognize you, even if you're a stranger, as my brother. Or let me be driven by a desire that you might meet Jesus, that we can have that kind of relationship, rather than I can simply know where you work, who your family is, where you like to hang out and we like the same band. And this is important for us because you might be thinking, so everyone really, that means like we all got to know each other. No, it doesn't. You don't need to be familiar with everyone. You don't need to know everybody's name. In fact, I don't mind saying, I hope I never know everybody's name. Because I want new people coming into this building every week. I want to have that little tingle of stranger danger. You know, there's lots of people I don't know. I desire that our church would be a place that regularly sends people for the kingdom to all kinds of places. I even desire that people will be so serious about their faith and so moved by God that sometimes they might say, you know what, faithful, adventurous and compassionate, that's a great thing for you, fig tree, but it doesn't light my fire. I'm going to leave, I'm not even getting sent, I'm going to leave this church because there's another church that I think actually suits where God's calling me and I can just pour myself in that and I will say, great, go and do it. And koinonia means that we can still count one another brother, sister in Christ. I don't need the familiarity, I don't even need necessarily to be long-term friends, to call you brother, to call you sister, to count you as precious to God or desire that you come to know God. It overcomes that distance. Koinonia overcomes all kinds of what I call miscellaneous distances because there are just too many of them to mention. It means that we can have mission partners on the other 
end of the planet whose hand you may never have shaken, but you can love them deeply, you can support them wholeheartedly, you can pray for them earnestly, and you can delight in their mission. It means that we don't have to trip over like society does over the generation gap. Instead we go, yeah, those boomers are weird people and millennials are crazy and Generation X are the best people on the planet. But the good news is in Christ we are all united. We don't need to trip over. Some denominations, some churches do things different. Doesn't matter. We're in Christ. Glad they do it that way. It suits them. That's good. We'll go our way. We'll be in Christ. It means that when I'm dating someone what's the fundamental relationship I have with this person that we are in Christ together and so I remember despite the powerful external relationship feeling and the hormones and the endorphins and whatever of dating I go first and foremost our relationship goes via Jesus let's not do anything together that pulls us away from Jesus And furthermore, if we contemplate a real relationship with one another, let us never go the shortcut of one of us doesn't know Jesus and it will be enough that we love each other deeply. No, love each other through Christ. And spare yourself a marriage that will not be all it could be, that will not have the fullness that God desires for it. The deepest relationships are those that are in Christ. And whilst we're talking about marriage, remember, even marriage, death will do your part. It's as long as our lives shall go. Koinonia goes further. One day your marriage ends. Your union with one another in Christ, that's eternal. It overcomes all distance. And so our desire is that our community will be marked by deep friendship, deep, deep friendship, because friends are fun and warmth. But our uncompromising prayer, however, must be for a community grounded in Christ, because having union with him in common means we will be truly united with each other and be the best kind of community you can get. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our Lord Jesus. We thank you for his amazing love for us in coming, removing our sin, offering new life by his resurrection, sending his Holy Spirit that we might be united with him, incorporated into your family, and therefore united with one another. Father God, we thank you for things like friendship and family and those things that are familial. But Lord God, may we never settle for these good things and call them ultimate. Instead, may we seek koinonia, fellowship that comes by being united with Christ. Father, we pray that you might transform our minds to seek union with one another through Christ as the basis of the community we share. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.